go to the little book of 1 John. I love this little epistle. It says it like it is. A lot of times in Scripture you have to dig around and get out the big concordances and, you know, kind of study and look and look at the original language and just try to discern at times, God, what are you saying here and what's the word for me? You don't have to with First John. If you want a straightforward word and message about uh, life, life with God, life with others, uh, John says it straight out and he says it pretty clear. And so if you'll go to First John chapter 3, I'm going to focus my thoughts uh, this morning to you as we uh, look into God's word. I believe John here is writing to a church, an early church, a young church uh, that uh, had some challenges. They were living in a world where things were starting to get unclear. They were facing some some challenges to the extension and the growth of the gospel. In fact, things were happening within the church that John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, felt the need to make it clear. Have you ever had the need to make it clear with your kids? Sit down. Let me just make this clear. And you know what, parents? I'm sure kids want to sit down with you sometimes. Let me speak for them a little bit. Can we just make this clear? Can we get on the same page? I want to hear you, and I need you to hear me. It's important for couples to do that. At least every decade, right? To sit down, and and when there's a a difference or where there seems to be a gap in communication, just just to reconnect. I want to hear you. Will you hear me? I think John was feeling the need with the early church and with this letter to get kind of the the clear word out to the people of God. Because there are some things that had started to cloud the church. Kind of causing the church in some ways to lose direction a bit. And some of these things were first as you read through 1 John. You see John talking about false teachers. People even that had risen up within the church but had turned to a false gospel and were still within the church proper, but teaching this false gospel. Some were questioning the divinity of Christ. Was Christ really God? Some were questioning the fact that salvation is by faith alone or by grace, not by works. Some of those isms were circulating in the church early on. In fact, Paul ta- or John talks about the spirit of Antichrist and spirits that come into the church that really are against the teachings of Christ. Or he speaks about the idea of you can love God and not love your brother. Pastor Matt alluded to that last week, that there were some that were beginning to think, as long as I love God, I don't really have to have the right relationships with the people around me. I can just have enemies Make them. Keep them. It's really not true. Within the body of Christ, John was saying, if you love God, you love one another. If you don't love one another, the love of the Father is not in you. So the two have to go hand in hand. And then also John talks about the pressure of the system and values of this temporary world. 
And even though this book was written, this little epistle was written hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago, you can open it today and read it and think it was written yesterday. When he says things like this, do not love the world or the things of the world. If you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. Pretty straightforward talk. So much important for us even to hear today. The two are not to coexist. They can't. So it will do us good today to receive some of the clarity here in 1 John 3. Because I have a sneaking suspicion that some of the same pressures, some of the same things that we're facing this church face the church today. John, 1 John 3, verse 1. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Maybe this sounds kind of basic or trite or simplistic. You're loved. You are loved. Now, you may not be lovable, but you're loved. You ever feel that way about somebody? You're not very lovable, but I love you. God may look at us and say, well, you're not very lovable to me, some of the things and ways that you are, but I love you. you you're loved. His love is rare. The type of love that God has for us cannot be compared to the love that you know from anyone else. Even though your spouse may love you in a deep way, God's love is far different, far deeper than even the greatest love that you've ever experienced on this earth. God's love is greater. His love is deeper. His love has no prerequisite. His love has no condition. There's no earning it. There's nothing that you can do to get it. You have it. There's nothing you can do to dismiss it. You have it. God loves you. He just loves you. There's nothing you could do to make Him love you more. And there's nothing that you could do to make Him withdraw His love or, or remove some of it or, or bring some of it back. He just loves you. In fact, His love, as this passage says, is great. It can't be earned. It doesn't have to be. It just is. Isn't that good news? We live in a world, maybe you're in a marriage, where it's about earning love. Maybe you're in a family where it's about earning love. I've got to do. I've got to perform. I've got to act in such a way so that somebody will love me back. God's love is not like that. He just loves you. There is no having to do. There's no performing. There's no measuring up. Aren't you glad? We don't have to measure up. We don't have to become something. God loves us. In fact, in John here it says, How great is the Father's love for us. The Father has lavished this love on us. We don't see that word a lot in Scripture being lavished upon us. I think something we can think about in our culture today is being spoiled. 
Have you ever been spoiled? Would you like to be spoiled? (laughs) I'd love somebody to spoil me. You're thinking, I'd just love somebody just to come in and just say, what do you need? What do you want me to do? I'll do more. You know, what would you like? I'll do more. You know, just to be spoiled. I have a little uh, situation going on with my niece and nephew. And who used to be little people? And now my niece is 13 almost, and my nephew's almost 16. And uh, ever since they were born, I took it upon myself to spoil them. Now, some of, it, some of that I do in front of everyone else, and some of that I do in secret. One of the reasons that I spoil them is so that I'm securing my future. We're in church, so I'll be honest. I'm single, never had children, so guess where you look? So I'm securing my future, and my future is going to be actualized here probably in the next 10 years. (laughs) But my brother and my sister-in-law would say to me on occasion, quit spoiling our kids. You spoil them, and then you give them back to us. And I would say, listen, Mark, it's my job to spoil them, and it's your job to make sure they're not spoiled. It's great to spoil people. I've been spoiled this week. I've had people come in with gifts and flowers and cards. And they think, Pastor Cindy, was it your birthday? No. It was a difficult week. And people were thinking of me and, and spoiling me. And it was wonderful, just for, for no reason, just to come and to bless me. You know what? God has lavished. He has spoiled us. He has spoiled us rotten. Well, I don't know. He has. He has spoiled us with his love. He's given us what we've needed and more. He's given us what we've had to have and more. He's given us what we've required and more. Has He not? God has lavished and poured and given and loved and blessed. Not only in His Son, which is way over the top, but way beyond that, God is pouring and lavishing His love on us. I think of the picture of the woman with the alabaster box. Remember that story in the Gospels where she just wanted to love Jesus and she took the most expensive thing she probably had and she breaks open this box filled with fragrant perfume and she just pours it on Jesus. And pours it on Jesus. And the Pharisees were sitting around and watching this lavish love. And they were just condemning her and scrutinizing her and questioning her and condemning her for wasting something so precious on this teacher, this rabbi. She got it. (laughs) She got it. Most of the non-religious people in Jesus' day got it. And she was one of them. She saw in Jesus a lavish gift. And she, in turn, took her life and poured it on him in return. He's given us 
lavishly. He spoiled us. His lavishness includes the initiation of his love. Do you know that God started toward you before you ever started toward him? We sing a lot of songs about seeking God. I'm seeking God. We're seeking after you. There was a great seeker that started this whole thing, and it wasn't us. Romans says, there is none righteous, no, not one. No one seeks after God. Lest we think we're some high and mighty spiritual person. Oh, we're a great seeker after God. Oh, there was a seeker before the seeker. God was the first and original seeker. Aren't you glad that he was? He came, in fact, Romans 5, 8 says, but God has demonstrated his love toward us that while we were still sinners... Christ died. What is that? Initiation. What is that? He started the love story. He loved first. He initiated toward us. How great His love. How lavish His love. This initiation of love toward us. You know, there's no condition for His love. It's there. Jesus said, whoever wants to, whoever will, can come. Revelation 21.6, to him who's thirsty, I will give him to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. No cost. It's free. No condition. You don't have to be anything for God. You don't have to do anything for God. And let me just tell you, as most of the people in this room are believers, it works on that, this side of the cross just like it worked on that side of the cross. Keep that in mind. You don't have to be or do anything to get to the cross. But once you've come to the cross, you don't have to be or do anything to keep God's love for you. It's just there. Oh, Pastor Cindy, that seems too good to be true. It is. It is too good to be true. He loves you. He loves you on this side of the cross just the way that you are. His love, and we talked about this yesterday at the service, His love is not only an initiative love, it's also a love without condition. And finally, it's a forgiving love. It's a forgiving love. talked about the prodigal son yesterday and the beautiful picture of God there. He says forgiveness is complete, open, and free to you whenever you need it. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness for 56 times. And then if you pass 56, you're done. Aren't you glad there's not a quota? Aren't you glad there's not a sin listed there that if you go beyond that sin, uh uh-oh, you're on your own. There is nothing like that. We put conditions like that on God We think that God has limits in certain things because we do. And we think certainly if we have limits to our love, certainly God must have limits on His. He doesn't. He doesn't. He forgives. He restores. His love is great. His love is so great that we should be called the children of God. He didn't say so we could be called the servant of God. 
He didn't say a friend of God, although we're that. He didn't even say so that you could become a slave of God. He said so that we could become children, have his DNA, have his likeness, have his love, have his blessing as our Father. We're family. We're family because of his great love. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. In other words, if we live like children, we're going to look weird and odd and the world's not going to get it. If we live in this love, if we express this love, if we allow this love to mold us, to shape us, to engulf us, to affect us, people who see us won't get it. And that's okay. Because we're not of the world system, we are of this love. Verse 2, dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Someday we will see him. That's a remarkable statement. Because the scripture tells us no one can see God and live. We in our mortal condition, in our sinful state, cannot see a perfect and a holy God and live. This implies that on the day that we see the Lord, either through our own death or through the return of Jesus Christ, something miraculous and transforming will happen to us so that we will see him. So that we will be in the right place. We will have the right body. We will have the right eyes to see the Lord. And we will see Him as He is. Won't that be a wonderful day? It will be a glorious day when we see Him as, as He is. Now our own death might be the entryway to that sight. But the return of Jesus may also be the entryway to that sight. I want to remind us today, we don't hear about it often enough. Jesus is returning. I think in today's day and age, I say this probably too frequently, but uh, I was raised in a church and in a time talked about the Lord's return a lot. Heard messages on it a lot. Songs were written about it a lot. I love it when some folks that are younger than I say, Hey, Pastor Cindy, have you heard that new song? I wish we'd all been ready. You know that new DC Talk song? I wish we'd all been ready. Oh, that was written 30 years ago. I remember just my awareness so heightened when I was in my 20s, thinking about the Lord's return. Today, days go by, weeks go by, months go by, years go by. There are even believers today that don't even believe Jesus is going to return. What's happened to us? Because when the return and the hope of Jesus coming gets set to the back burner, 
we ignore it, we forget it. Things happen to us because we forget. The condition of our life erodes because we forget. Our witness, our sharing of our faith goes away because we're forgetting. We're forgetting that the Lord can and will return. It's really true what 1 Thessalonians 4 says. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. In other words, Paul's saying, don't forget them. Don't forget this fact. Don't forget this reality that out of God's great love for you, He's coming back for you. Keep that on the front burners of your mind. Keep it as a daily reminder. Today could be the day that I see Christ, that He returns. What will my life consist of today if today is the day? He goes on at the end here of 1 John 3, verse 4, to talk about the result or the effect of having that conviction and that knowledge in our heart. Look with me, if you will. That very last verse, verse 3. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he, the Lord, is pure. What is the proof to me that the hope of the return of Jesus Christ is not alive in the church today? The condition of the church. The purity of the church. If we had a consciousness Toward the return of Christ, our life today would be lived differently. Our life tomorrow would be lived differently. John says here there would be a purifying going on within us. Things would be changing. And there's two ways that I think this word comes to us today. Is First of all, there would be a cleaning up. There would be a cleaning up. Remember the last time you had a house guest at your place? Remember the last time you took somebody important with you in the car? You know, what do you do? The last time you're going to a special occasion, men, and you think, I got to go get a car wash, I got to dump the junk out of my front seat. What do we do? We're going to a special occasion. Something great is going to happen. So we clean up. We clean up our car. We clean up our house. We, we make our lives ready. If we really knew and had the conviction within us that Christ was returning, our lives would be cleaning up. We would be cleaning up. Things would be dumped out, left behind, forgotten, put away, ignored. Because the most important event of our life is going to happen. And I have a hope for that. And because I have a hope in that, my life is going to get ready for that. A purifying, a cleaning up, a getting ready 
And then the second way that I think this purifying can happen or should happen is being true to the Lord. Being true. Being clean before the Lord and being true to the Lord. We need to be true to Him. We need to cut the ties and the influence of the world system on our life and be true to Him. He wants us to be true. Not have mixed agendas, mixed priorities. Self. He's looking for us in preparation for His return to be true to Him. No matter what, Lord, I'm true to You. If you want this first, you have it. If you want this thing to go this way, you have it. I'm true to You. This is asking for my attention. I'm true to You. This is asking for my heart. I'm true to You. This is asking for my love. This is asking for my time. This is asking for my money. This is asking for my attention. I'm true to you. I'm true to you. And part of being true to Him is we've got to let the world go. I say that with all the conviction and love in my heart. Time is short. This world is going to pass away. It's really not permanent here, folks. It's really not going to last. This is really not going to last. Why do we hang on to it? Why do we love it? Why do we want it? The Lord's saying, be true to me. Be true to me. If we have this hope within us, and I pray that we do, we will purify ourselves. We'll allow Him to clean us. And we'll be true to Him. So that on that day, when we see Him, we'll be able to look, as John says earlier, with confidence, unashamed, before Him. Let's pray. How great your love is for us, Father. Thank you that your love is so great. It captures us. Your love constrains us. Your love reaches for us. Your love holds us. Your love forgives us. Your love is unconditional. Your love goes on and on and on. It's beyond our sin. It's beyond our frailty. It's beyond our weakness. Your love that you have lavished upon us is great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for loving me that way, Lord. Thank you for loving others that way. Lord, because you've loved us so much and because you have lavished that love upon us, Lord, you are reminding us today that one day we will see the one who has loved us so much. And on that day, We want to look into your face. We will want to see you as you are. 
And we want to be able to look with confidence, unashamed. And the way that we will is if we've cleansed ourselves and we've been true. So, Lord, I pray over this congregation today that if you are speaking to us, and I believe that you are, maybe, Lord, in this message you've pointed something out in our life today. said, what about this? What about this? This needs cleansed. What about this? This is keeping you from being true to me. What about this? Lord, I pray today that as you're touching our lives with your finger, that we will respond and we'll say yes. Yes. Thank you, Lord, for your spirit in this place today. We pray that you'll receive glory from our lives. Lord, they will be pure as you are pure. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.